you could turn in your Bible with me to Philippians chapter 1, please. Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> it's good to be back home here in the frozen tundra of Wisconsin. Uh, we're back a week earlier than we normally are. We normally roll in just in time for the junior-senior banquet, which is normally on Thursday. And uh, we came from 80-degree weather, right, Will? Right, Ben? Have to say. It's good to come home, but it's kind of cold. Um, <clears throat> we are definitely, though, thrilled to be home. We're thrilled to get to see you all, see what God's doing in your hearts and in your lives. Uh, I was encouraging the junior-senior banquet last night just to see what, uh, what the Lord is doing and how God is leading uh, you all. And uh, here this morning, I, I want to... Uh, I want to give you a challenge. I recognize this is, uh, if I understand it right, the last chapel of the school year. And uh, for some of you, this is the last chapel of your college career. For some of you, um, for some of you, this is your last chapel of your junior year, sophomore year, freshman year. But you know what? I think one thing is uh, the case for all of you. You're not going to have chapel for a while, unless you're in summer school. <laughs> then you'll have a few more. But uh, for the rest of you, uh, you're going to be going home. You're going to be uh, uh, working. Uh, you're going to be ministering in other places. You're going to be focusing on your family, focusing on your home ministries. And uh, as I've been thinking about what the Lord would have me present here this morning, um, the Lord led me to a passage that I, I've, I have not exactly preached like this in chapel here at BCM. I preached portions of what I want to do here today uh, as standalone messages. Uh, you've heard me preach, uh, I believe it was last year, Are You All In? out of the end of chapter 2. Uh, a couple years ago, I preached a message out of Philippians 2, 5 and following, uh, reaching beyond the sanctuary. Maybe you remember that, maybe you don't. may not have been a very memorable message, I don't know. But here today, what I'd really like to do is I'd like to tie together chapters 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. Um, by, by the way, for those of you that have been following our spring tour, okay, I just got to say a couple things. Can I say a couple things, Ben? Is that all right? He says no. I'll say them anyway. Uh, spring tour was a wonderful tour. Thank you for those of you. How many of you receive our WhatsApp prayer updates? Let me see your hands. If you do not receive those and would like to get those, uh, get my number somehow, get on WhatsApp and send me a message and say, I'd like to receive your prayer updates. You'll get more selfies than you ever wanted. <laughs> <laughs> um, but more importantly than that, um, you can see the crowds, you can hear about what God is doing in the moments. And, and by the way, for those of you that have gotten those updates and have prayed, I can tell when you are praying. Um, there have been so many times you've heard me say things like, uh, we've got a rough crowd tonight, or, or we're lacking energy here tonight, please be praying, or something's wrong here, please pray. And what's amazing, I send out that message, and literally within minutes, boom, things turn around. And whoever's praying, please keep doing that, because it's really making a difference. Um, thank you for praying. Just a couple statistics for those of you statistic nerds. The guys recruited 2,879 teenagers this semester. That's pretty amazing, isn't it, guys? All right. Uh, we had 811 teenagers attend, and 192 trusted Christ as their Savior. 
Um, I think some of you also heard that we did a little bit of a newer emphasis this tour where after the gospel invitation on the final night, I spent a few moments explaining what total surrender is and try to make it as difficult as possible for them to respond. And then I invited them to stand eyes wide open amongst everybody among their peers and declare their desire to surrender. I'm thankful over 500 young people uh, have said their desire was to surrender their life completely and totally to Jesus Christ. And so it's been so encouraging what God has been doing. As far as the standings of the tour, that's what Ben doesn't want me to tell you about. Um, at one point, it was five to two. Five wins to two wins. Navy had five wins, Army had two wins, and we had three weeks left. Well, all Navy had to do was win one more week. Well, the, the, the very next week, Navy lost because of a cell phone penalty. Some of you know what that's talking about. Uh, the very next week, uh, Army just narrowly scraped out a victory. And then on the final week, it was literally the way the points were. It was going to come down to if Army won, it was going to be based on the total score points, uh, the total tours points. If Navy won, they would get it. And uh, the way it worked out there, Army barely scraped out a victory. Well, no, not quite decisively on the final night, actually, and won the tour. So, uh Will made an incredible comeback. I don't know why you're amening that, but I, unless you're an army guy. But, uh, but anyway, it's, it's been an exciting, by the way, I, I just have to say, uh, Ben and Will have been a great representation of BCM on the road. Uh, they've been a great representation of what God is doing in the student body. And uh, there, have been, there are many times when the guys had a little bit of extra time and uh, I would come and find them somewhere in the church, having their hour with God. And uh, just to see their willingness to serve to see their willingness to get along. That's always a blessing to have on a tour. And uh, their willingness to believe God and uh, to do hard things. Independence upon the Lord has been an encouragement to me. And it was a genuine blessing to have them along for the tour. But you know, you've got your own tour this summer. Uh, a few of you are traveling with me on Cola Clash. That's a tour, right? Uh, let's see, who is it? It's Will. Where's Will? Keenan. I saw him back there. Uh, Hannah Stosak, which isn't here quite yet, and uh, Melissa, who's around somewhere. If you think of it, pray for us. Uh, pray that God will uh, allow the whole team to get along with each other, that God will use us, and that, uh, that the Lord will be, will be honored here this summer. Uh, we're going to be traveling all over. Uh, we're going to be in Indianapolis. We're going to be in uh, Ohio. We're going to have a couple weeks in Tennessee. Uh, we'll be in Indiana again, uh, we'll be in Ohio again, Illinois, so we're kind of focused on the Midwest and uh, very excited. Also, I have a unique opportunity at the end of the summer. I'm going to be doing a revival meeting for Martinsville Baptist Tabernacle, the final week of the tour. Our team will be joining us for that, and uh, it's kind of a dual-purpose revival meeting. Uh, I'm doing a regular old normal revival meeting Sunday through Friday in the evenings, but then during the day, pastor is very burdened for us to do something to reach the school uh, with the message of total surrender and total dependence. I don't know exactly how that's all going to flesh out, but please just be praying for God to uh, clarify and to prepare and to do a great work in uh, Tabernacle Christian School there. I ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. And uh, I want to say a few things about just this book. Uh, let's see, Tristan was with me during the summer. I don't know if Emma's in here or not. I don't think anybody else who was on that journey, Tristan's the only one, so he's got notes all over his Bible probably here today. I uh, took that team through the whole book of Philippians during their tour with us. 
Um, but Philippians has been uh, uh, just an absolutely pleasure, absolute pleasure to study through. Uh, for those of you that uh, know your New Testament church history, uh, you will know that Paul in a second missionary journey was called uh, by the Macedonian call, the Macedonian vision to come over from Asia Minor over to the Grecian Peninsula. And when he landed there on the Grecian Peninsula, the first place that he began to preach the gospel was the city of Philippi. Uh, in fact, it was at that city of Philippi he ended up getting thrown in jail. Uh, the whole story of the Philippian jailer took place there. And as Paul uh, led many people to Jesus Christ, as God did many great things there, and as he continued on in his journey, uh, this church was one of the many churches that continued uh, to, uh, to support, even financially and in their prayers, the Apostle Paul. In fact, I'd like to think of the book of Philippians as a God-inspired thank you note. <laughs> um, the last chapter is kind of the thank you note portion of it. If you think about that chapter like that, it'll help you understand what's going on there. Um, but this is more than just a thank you note. Because uh, as is often the case, when there are folks that you are uh, spiritually responsible for, there may be many things that you can be thankful for, for what God is doing in their lives and through their lives. They might be a blessing to you and a blessing to others. But I think we all recognize through our various ministries that though you can be encouraged with what God's doing, many times you see little things. Little things that need to be adjusted. Little things that need to be tweaked, little mindsets and thought patterns that if not dealt with appropriately will ultimately lead them to destruction, to destroying their own personal lives or at times destroying the ministry that God has called them to do. Which, by the way, if you wonder sometimes why the dean staff and other people here get a little nitpicky with you, it's because we sometimes see little things in your lives that if they're not dealt with now will result in, in destruction of your life or of your ministry. And so the Apostle Paul, as he begins to write this letter to the Philippians, he makes it very clear in the beginning of the, the first chapter, he's so thankful for what God has done in their lives. In fact, look at verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And he says, every time I think about you, it brings joy to my heart for what God has done in you, for what God is doing through you, for this cooperation that we have with each other in the work of the gospel. Um, he, he shares that what God has started, he will complete, and he's just praying that God will take them further and further and further in this growth that he's been so encouraged at seeing in their lives. He uh, corrects a little bit of a misunderstanding that those that he's writing to might have uh, down in verse 12. Um, he says, But I would ye should understand that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And, and, and briefly, just, just to kind of help you understand the reason why he would say that is you've got to remember that the Apostle Paul was like their hero. Here he was, the man that followed the vision of God over into their city who was thrown in jail. God delivered him by an earthquake. He led them to Christ. They love him so much, they send all kinds of money to him out of their deep poverty. And yet, uh, at this point in time in Paul's history, I think you know the, the, the letter to the Philippians is one of the four epistles that are known as what? The prison epistles. Good you're paying attention in class. That's great. 
At this point in time, Paul had completed his three missionary journeys. Um, he had, in fact, at the end of his third missionary journey, he wrote to the Romans. He said, uh, from uh, Illyricum all the way around to Jerusalem, I fully preached the gospel. And he said, there is no more place for me in these parts. And what he essentially said was, I did my job. I planted churches in strategic places. I led people to Christ, and honestly, now the churches that I pioneered are doing their job at reaching their communities and their provinces with the gospel. I'm not needed here anymore. And, and, and yet, you see that kind of a ministry. You see that kind of a line from the Philippians were an absolute fan of the Apostle Paul. If they had t-shirts, they would buy them all and wear them everywhere. They loved Paul. And yet they received word that after the third missionary journey, he was thrown in jail. Oh boy, it was a good run while you had it. We still have your pendants and we waive them, but uh, we just don't know if uh, maybe God's done with you, Paul. It's been nice, um, but uh, boy, that's sure a shame. It was encouraging while it lasted, but uh, it's too bad things are over now. And he wanted to make it very clear to them, listen, what happened to me? God's not done with me yet. What happened to me, these challenges in reversal have, instead of resulting in the destruction of the mission at hand, have actually furthered the mission. Aren't you glad that when things go bad, God's still in control? Aren't you thankful when you come up short for your school bill, God hasn't forgotten about you? And when you have to sit out for a semester, God isn't done with you. God is still on the move, weaving everything together for good to the saving of much people. And that's exactly what was the case with the Apostle Paul, and if I can call him his Philippian fan club. But as he goes throughout, he's talking a little bit about this conflict that he has. He says, you know, I really don't know what's going to happen. Here I am awaiting trial before Caesar, and, and I'm not exactly sure how things are going to turn out. It could well be that he might let me off. It could well be that I'd be found innocent, and I'll have, you know, decades of ministry ahead of me. It could be he'll cut my head off. I'll be honest with you, I think I'm probably going to be let free, but ultimately I don't know what exactly is going to happen. But as we come down to verse 27, he gives his burden, what could potentially be his final words to this group of people that he had invested so much in. He gives what could be some of his final words to those that prayed for his ministry, that followed his ministry, that supported his ministry. He says in verse 27, only. <laughs> if you do a little bit of study behind the English words here, you'll find that that word only has the idea of one. And several commentaries that I read, they said it's as if the bony finger of Paul were to be uh, pointed towards the sky. And as he looked at the Philippians in his mind's eye as he was writing this, he was thinking, if I am burdened for anything for you, Philippians, if there's anything that I could communicate, if there's only one thing that I could leave you with here today, here is what it is. Only let your conversation your lifestyle, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He says, listen, here's what I want for you to be all about. If I could leave you with one thing, Philippians, you've rooted for me, you've supported me, you've prayed for me, you're doing the work there. But if I could leave you with one thing, live your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the decisions of your day 
day in and day out, moment by moment, all revolve around the center hub of reaching the world with the message of Jesus Christ. He says that whether I come and see you or else be absent, whether I get out of this jail and, and get to physically visit you there in Philippi or I be absent, whether I never make it out of jail for the rest of my life, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, striving together uh, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In this verse, I believe it uh, the really big uh, burden of Paul comes to the surface. And believe it or not, the big primary burden for the Philippians wasn't just that they would live for the gospel. His primary foundational deep burden is found in the words, in one spirit and with one mind. What Paul was appealing to, and you're going to see this more and more as we go throughout the rest of the verses we're studying together, Paul's burden for them was that they would have a common goal, that they would all have the same mindset, that they would all think exactly the same, that they would be like-minded, not only with him, but with each other, that they would, in the way that they think, in the things that they were passionate about, be duplicates of one another. Um, I, I don't know if, you, I, one of the reasons why it's such a blessing to come home is because when I come home, I get to be with a church and with a college and with a bunch of other people that I know are heart and soul like-minded with me. I'm sure you've probably been to places and been with people and maybe even with ministries that weren't like-minded. You know what I'm talking about? I travel, I get to see all different kinds of churches. And there have been a few times in my history, I've been in churches and I'm looking around thinking, I do not think we understand each other. In fact, uh, my very first year, I think it was my fourth meeting I ever did, I uh, ended up in a little church in uh, uh, Sulphur Springs, Texas. And let me tell you, that week stunk. <laughs> had nothing to do with the city name. There was more to it than that. It was like this. We arrived and rolled into the church. And as we rolled into the church, uh, we all stepped into the gym. And to our delight, we saw all the chairs were set up. That was really cool. In fact, as we were walking in, we saw the mud pit had already been dug way over in the corner of the property. And that, that was kind of neat. All Minutemen guys are salivating right now thinking, wow, that's pretty good. Well, the only thing was, though, when we walked into the gym, uh, the first thing I heard was, na-na, 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 Am I allowed to do that in the chapel platform? It was bad. <laughs> Literal heavy metal head banging music coming out of the youth room. It was horrible. I remember walking to the youth room to see, is this just some teen playing something? And I see, you know, I see people, you know, with guitars and people up to the microphones. And I saw one kid with long hair at the drum set and he's going like this and his hair is going like this up there. And I'm thinking, what have I got myself into? Oh, no, I, I think I ran right out and got in the van and called Dr. Jim. Dr. Jim, what do I do? <laughs> it's like, well, Bob, you're there. You need to finish out the week. You need to make it clear where you stand, but you got to finish out the week. And, uh, well, I came inside, and 
talked to the youth pastor and he was so pumped about the war. He had had his own t-shirts made for his own youth staff, which we won't talk about that, but um, <clears throat> he said, yeah, we're so excited. We're gonna make videos every night. We're gonna show highlight videos up on the screen. We're gonna pump this gym full of awesome music. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh no, you're not. <laughs> Well, I remember I ran out to the van and I called Dr. Jim again. <laughs> what do I do? And, um, well, I don't know, Bob. You'll, you'll just have to seek the Lord on this. He'll give you wisdom. That is such a cop-out. But anyway, <laughs> as a leader, that's what we say when we don't know. Um, but uh, I went inside and I thought, well, only four weeks in. It's time to put my big boy pants on and have a conversation. So I sat down and I tried to be so kind and so understanding and generous. And I sat down and I said, you know, hey, uh, Brother Ernie, his name was Ernie. He had something dead, looked like something, anyway. Um, <laughs> I sat down and I said, hey, I said, what you do in your church is between you and God. And the music that you use in your youth group is between you and God. But the music that we use in these rallies are between me and God. And I'm just respectfully like to request that we not use any of the music that you've used here in our rallies. And he said, oh, man, it's going to ruin the week. you got to understand, our teens are a music-driven youth group. We talked a little more, and he says, man, my philosophy is we just give the kids what they want, and they'll keep coming. And he tried to push it in, and I eventually had to tell him, I'm sorry, Ernie, we are not going to use this music in this program. And he said to me, oh man, you just need to back off. And I'm thinking, oh, good night. Well, this fella, they, uh, he, he had connections in the community. In fact, my guys were out recruiting and uh, they were driving down the road to a sports complex that he said had all kinds of teens. And uh, the team members would say, hey, there's a teen right there, let's stop. The youth pastor said, nope, we're heading to the sports complex, which those of you who've traveled, you know, you know how horrible that was. They were calling me saying, Pastor Ernie's not stopping for teens, what do we do? And I was like, I'm just not gonna push anything anymore here. Well, it was around eight o'clock, and he told the guys, you know, I think you've done enough here tonight, let's go home and crash. I think the guys got like 80 names and numbers that week. It was horrible. But because this guy had connections with the Methodist youth pastor and the Episcopalian youth pastor and the uh, charismatic youth pastors, Assemblies of God, he had all kinds of connections. We had well over 100 teenagers. And uh, I, I told some people as I was relaying this story to them later, I said, this was my, my Billy Graham temptation, if you will, of ecumenical evangelism. <laughs> but you know what was interesting? Um, the Spirit of God was grieved, and uh, though we had, uh, I think it was 169 teens come over three nights, only 12 young people got saved, and uh, honestly, as much as it might have been a temptation for the sake of the size of the crowd, it wasn't a temptation because God, God was grieved by the whole situation. But you know, I say all of that to say, when the week was done, I was glad to leave. I mean, I'm typically ready to go as it is when Monday comes, you know, Tuesday comes rolling around. Come on, let's get to the next church. Let's reach the next group of teenagers. You know, let's preach the same sermon to a group of people that hasn't heard it before. <laughs> but I was ready to go. And Ernie was ready for us to go, too. 
you know, I've never called them, and they've never called me yet. And, uh, you know, it's interesting how difficult things can become when you aren't like-minded with each other. And uh, one of the things that Paul was burdened for this church was that they would be like-minded with each other. Now, what was the, the pattern of thinking that he wanted them to have? Well, he says in verse 27 that he wanted them to be all about the gospel. He wanted them in their lives to be passionate about one thing, reaching the world for Christ. But you know, it's interesting to me that he doesn't just stop there when he talks about the united mindset that he wants them to have. Because it's one thing to say, okay, you all need to have a common goal. You all need to be after the same thing to keep the main thing the main thing, right? But you know, even when you uh, talk about what you should be thinking about, what you should be passionate, in, uh, passionate about, what I find is until you talk about what you shouldn't be passionate about, it's hard for the rubber to meet the road. And that's why in chapter 2, I believe, he begins to talk about the, the conflicting alternative, if I could put it that way. Uh, in verse 1, he says, if there, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy. What he's saying here essentially is, hey, listen, if we've had the common experience of salvation, make me a happy apostle. And here's what, you need, here's what I'm asking you to do. Verse 2, that ye be like-minded. Having the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. He said it four different ways. I want you to think exactly the same. If you've experienced salvation by Jesus, listen, make me an app. Listen, I'll tell you what can make me happy. If you're my fan club and want to do anything you can uh, to further my ministry and to give me joy in life, here's what you can do. I want you all to be on the same page. And if you're on the same page, there's something you can't do. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What he's essentially saying here is this common mindset that I want you to have is not just a mindset to reach the world with the gospel. It's the mindset that goes like this. It's not about you. This matter of reaching the world for Christ, it's not so you'll have a great testimony to give when we come back next semester. It's not so you can feel some great worth because you have done something for God. It's not so you have something to fill out on your summer spiritual disciplines report or whatever you call that. It's not so that you can look like a successful Bible college student to your pastor at home or to your family. It's not about you. And you know, one of the greatest mindsets that I think if all of us will have as we go into the summer, if this mindset is it's not about me, it's about others, and it's about reaching the world for Christ, I think we're going to have a good summer. But you know what I find is the temptation? You know, you've been working here in school, right? Working, working, working. Um, writing, writing, writing. Studying, studying, studying. Sawing, sawing, sawing. Okay? <laughs> Except I didn't sprain my foot that time. <laughs> <laughs> you freshmen don't get that joke. 
It's one of my few messages that's not on the website. You can ask one of the older students about it. But um, <laughs> You know, I find that we many times view break as a time for me. As a time to get some rest. Which, you know what, you should get some rest. As a time to get to the projects that I want to get to. A time to focus on the things that I want to focus on. It's me time. And I want to tell you, if you go into your summer break viewing it as me time, you're going to hurt the cause of Christ. You're going to hurt your own walk with God. You're going to hurt so many things. Um, but for some of you, listen, some of you, it's easy to think, oh, I'm done with school. You know, great, so I'll have so much more time to focus on the things that I want to focus on. And as Mr. Mann said last night, things only get harder after you get out of school. But there is, to be honest, more discretionary time. You do have the ability to put together your own schedule. You do have the opportunity to decide what your priorities are going to be. You do have the opportunity to decide what the next steps are. But can I tell you, if your mindset is that it's all about me, it's going to destroy you going to destroy your life and your ministry you know and again I recognize I recognize I'm talking to a group of people I am super encouraged with, with what God's doing in your life I'm not saying this because I'm thinking this dirty rotten bunch of selfish sinners that's not what I'm thinking at all I'm thinking man I love these kids these kids embody what I'm passionate about when it comes to the generation but I also recognize the propensity in me to be so focused on me when I have a rest day or a rest week or a little bit of downtime. It's so easy for me to think, all right, I got some free time. What do I want to do? And it kills me just as much as it's going to kill you. It's so easy to focus on yourself. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, we're so used to in certain settings doing certain things. I don't think it's necessarily a calculated decision to be selfish. It's just kind of the default mechanism, especially going home to your same bedroom, to the same house with the same people. You're a different person now, and that's awesome. But when you get back in those environments, sometimes it's just the, the conditioned response that you're going to be selfish. I, it's like, okay, this, I'm on a diet. You can laugh. <laughs> um, I'm on the keto diet, which is a modified form of starvation, basically, is what I've decided. Uh, although it's kind of cool in some ways. I get to eat all kinds of fat. Like, I, I've, I've never said this more times in my life. Hun, I don't have enough fat in my meal today. And uh, you have a bunch of fat, but hardly any carbs. Like, I'm supposed to keep it under 24 carbs, grams of carbs in a day. Last night, if you were wondering why I wasn't eating most of the dinner, it's because I couldn't eat most of it. Um, but uh, I'm trying to lose some pounds. It's really bad when you can see more of your tie than of your legs. <laughs> it's really bad when you button your suit coat that it becomes, becomes a danger zone to everybody in the first couple of rows. I mean, it's, it's not a good thing, so I realize I just need to lose some weight. So I'm on this keto diet and uh, it, it's been good. I've already lost a little bit of weight and it's just been a couple of days. But you know, the other day, yesterday, um, I, uh, Eva had her violin lesson and her just violin practice in the trailer with Abby. And my wife has a jar of jelly beans that she gives them like one if they, you know, if they cooperated. And, and you know, I saw that jar of jelly beans, totally didn't even think. Just took one, popped it in my mouth and kept doing what I was doing. And I thought, you know what? Later on, I was thinking, I ate a jelly bean. 
I've never thought that thought in my entire life. <laughs> I've never cared in my entire life. I got out my little app that I used to track the, the, the carbs and everything, and I put in, you know, one jelly bean, and it was 10% of my daily carb allowance. And I couldn't believe it. But, you know, I'll be honest with you. In that moment, I wasn't trying to rebel against my diet. I just didn't think about it. And you know, what a diet takes, I'm learning, is great intentionality. <laughs> it takes some discipline, honestly. And um, when you go home, I think you see where I'm going with this. The temptation is going to be just to click back into whatever way you're used to operating. But Paul's burden and passion for the Philippians is that they would recognize it's not about you. It's about the mission. It's about the gospel. It's about others. Um, I have a whole lot more written down here, but I'm, I'm out of time here. You know, when we choose to die, which is really what this is about, when we choose to have the common mindset of it's not about me, it's about others, it is a choice of death. It is a choice of I am going to let go of my passion for me and give myself to another passion. There's a sense in which well, in fact, it's what, what he talks about next. I don't have time to develop it, but verses 5 and following. He says, you want to know what this mindset looks like? Let me tell you what it looks like. That Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus, of anybody, had the right to be all about himself. But he wasn't. He recognized that the need of you and me was so important, was so mission critical, that he died. And you know, on the other side of that death, there was a resurrection. There was an exaltation. Um, a verse that has been a verse I've been thinking a lot about the last couple days is uh, a verse I think encapsulates some of this. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Young people, I'll tell you, the tragedy, if you go home and live for yourself, is Jesus won't be a part of that. One of the greatest fears I have is operating in ministry all by myself. He says, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. One last thing I want to share, and then I'll be done. Um, for some of you, you found out uh, through one means or another that I met my birth mom back in December. That was awesome. I wish I had so much time to tell you more about it. If you want to hear more of the story, you can listen to the podcast. Um, I can't remember what it's called, Together for Good, on the Regeneration website. But you know, as I've been really thinking a whole lot about the sacrifice that she made, I realized that it's what this ver these verses are talking about. As much as it would have been easy for her to abort, to keep me for herself for whatever reason, for whatever selfish reasons she might have made, she chose instead to not be about herself and what she could have wanted, and instead to give me up for adoption. Uh, this Sunday is a pretty special day for me because it's the first uh, Mother's Day uh, since I found her. And I wanted to do something really special for her, and I'd like to ask that this not go on the website at least until after Mother's Day. I wrote her a poem uh, a couple of days ago and I want to read this to you because I feel like it not only encapsulates my thanks 
for her sacrifice, but I think it encapsulates pretty well what I'm talking about here today. To plant a seed into the ground where I can no more view, where love's sweet gaze of tenderness is blind, tis hard to do. You find the seed beyond your grasp, beyond your loving care. You're powerless to do a thing except to kneel in prayer. You feel as if you've given up a task that should be yours. Your weakness, fears, and dark regrets as one great army wars against your faith, your hope, the love that led you to this plight. But yet, you know deep down inside the choice you made was right. While seed lies dormant in the ground, all hope has not been lost. For God, the Lord of life and death, has taken up your cost. The miracle within the soil is not man's task to work. And yet, without surrender's choice, the seed stays lone and dark. We never know just what will come when to our will we die. But God, who raised the dead, that seed will greatly multiply. So thank you for your step of faith to plant me in the sod. Your love and your surrendered choice have brought much fruit to God. You know, young people here this summer, um, my burden as I'm just thinking about your summer and my summer is that you would not live for yourself. Don't live for your own dreams or plans. This summer is not about you. So if you'll surrender to Jesus, it's going to feel like you're dying. But if you'll recognize that on the other side of that death is a miraculous resurrection where God will do things you never thought he could do, if you'll depend upon him and surrender to him, this summer can be an amazing summer. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for these young people. I want to thank you for their burden. I want to thank you for their testimony. Lord, I pray that in a few days as they part ways from this place, that you would keep this matter of living for others in their hearts and in their minds. Lord, I pray that the testimony from every student in every part of this country and beyond would be that these students love the Lord Jesus with all of their hearts and that they love the souls of men and women around them. Lord, I pray that you'd use these young people to make the folks of this school that have poured so much time and effort and prayers into them full of joy. Lord, thank you for these young people. I pray, God, that you would do in them and through them all that you have in your heart. In Jesus' name.